This is a sermon preached in the pulpit of Eden Grove Presbyterian Church, Bowen Hinch, Northern Ireland. A place where we believe that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Friends, lift your Bibles this morning and please turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4. Acts is our sermon series uh, in this brand new year. Although February has arrived, we are still in the book and Acts chapter 4 is where we have found ourselves. Last time out, we heard about uh, Peter and John healing this lame man from birth. Now, unfortunately, they find themselves in a little bit of trouble because of that great work. Acts chapter 4 and we read from verse 1 to verse 31 and this is the word of God. And as they, that is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another and said, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punishment, punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened, for the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 
When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. And we thank God for his precious word. In chapter 3 of the book of Acts, we came across a lame man who had been lame from birth, asking for money of Peter and John, and instead of silver and gold, they give him something much, much greater. Not only was this man healed and he stood again physically well and he was leaping and praising God, but this man had been saved. This man had come to know Christ as his saviour. His eternal status with the Lord Jesus was secure. This was reason for much celebration. And you would think that many would be so thankful for this because as we discover in Acts chapter 4 and verse 22, this man was more than 40 years old. Everyone, as you look at the screen today, and boys and girls, as you look at my silvery beard, this man up here is more than 40 years old too. But the man that we meet in the pages of Acts 3 and Acts 4, this man lame from birth, begging for money, healed by Peter and John in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for 40 odd years, he had been unwell. What an extraordinary and wonderful event had taken place. You would imagine that in the light of all of this, there would be widespread rejoicing throughout the streets and alleyways of this great city. But unfortunately, as we discover in chapter 4, and is still the reality to this very day, there are always those who oppose the gospel. As this chapter begins, we read again that Peter and John were still speaking to the people. And as they were doing it, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, verse 1. And they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And here, straight away, is the good news. Jesus Christ has been crucified for our sin and raised again for our justification. And the Christian hope is that all who believe in Jesus, if they were to die right now, they would go to be with him in glory. But one day when he returns, we will stand again on this earth. We will be raised to life. We believe as Christians in the resurrection. That we are not to spend eternity with disembodied souls floating around on a cloud. 
but we will stand again, sin free, body and soul reunited and we will be with Jesus forever. The resurrection is an important part of the Christian gospel. And the resurrection that these men were preaching had caused great annoyance amongst the powers that be. We read about the captain of the temple, we read about the priests, and we read about the Sadducees. Long ago, when I was just a little tiny boy, we used to sing about the Sadducees because they are sad, you see. Now, we're not going to sing that today, and I'm not going to get Nick to play it for us next week, but the Sadducees were a subgroup of Judaism. And boys and girls, the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so here they are, greatly annoyed at the preaching and teaching of Peter and John because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Just as the Lord Jesus Christ himself had stood again on this earth, so all who believe in him will also stand again. Here is the resurrection, and the Sadducees wanted nothing to do with it. And so their response to this preaching was to arrest Peter and John. We read that in verse 3. They were put in custody until the very next day, for it was already evening when their arrest came. And yet, as we go into this chapter in verse 4, we realize that the gospel cannot be stopped. And that is a common theme of today's sermon. The gospel cannot be stopped. The gospel cannot be stopped. Peter and John arrested because they had annoyed the powers that be with this bold talk of the resurrection, put in jail, and you would think, well, that's the end of it. A few nights in the neck will, will cause them to realize the error of their ways, and they will come out, and they will be changed men, and they won't open their mouths anymore about this gospel. We will teach them a lesson, and we will stamp out this good news that they are proclaiming. The gospel has always had its opponents. The gospel has always had men and women and the powers that be and ruling authorities who seek to stamp out the gospel. And yet, the gospel cannot be stopped. Even though the preachers of the gospel were in prison, we read in verse 4 that many of those who had heard the word believed and the number of men not the number of men, women and children, just the number of men came to about 5,000. And so from humble beginnings, the church is growing and growing and growing and growing. We said just a few weeks ago there were about 120 believers. And, and whether that was the full number of God's elect in the world at that time, only God knows. But the gospel is going forward. It will soon leave the boundaries of Jerusalem. But even now there are thousands of people who have received the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. You would expect much rejoicing. You would expect everyone to be celebrating. The lame are walking. The good news goes forward. The chains of sin are being broken. And yet the response of the rulers is to imprison those who will not be silent about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next day, John and Peter are gathered before the ruling authorities. Annas is there, chapter, verse 6, the high priest. There's Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Here are these two humble common men brought before the ruling authorities. And I'm sure there must have been some degree of intimidation. 
How would you be if you were pulled in before such an elite group of men? Such an elite group who were urging you and telling you and threatening you no more of this Jesus business. Peter and John stood in their midst. And they were asked the question, verse 7, by what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter does not car away. He does not suddenly uh, lose his voice or, or silence his tongue. But Peter, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, but they, by that the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. I love the boldness of Peter. I love how he doesn't uh, miss the, the target here. He doesn't spend half an hour introducing his topic. He gets straight to the issue. And he says, if this is your question, how is this 40-year-old man lame from birth? How is he healed? How is he standing well before you? If this is your question, then let me give you the answer. The answer is Jesus. That's how he's well. That's how he's been healed. This man is praising God and the reason he does it, Jesus. This man is well and the reason, Jesus. This man is praising down the street and people are celebrating and the reason, Jesus. This is why it is Jesus. But Peter goes on. He says, let it be known that this Jesus, verse 11 is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among, given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. A famous verse, a mighty and powerful verse, and one that is still abundantly true to this very day. You want to know what this is all about? You Sadducees, you chief priests, you members of the ruling family, Mr. Captain of the temple, you want to know what this is all about. It is about Jesus. He was rejected by you. He was the stone that you, the builders, put to one side and said was worthless and useless, but he has become the cornerstone. It is Jesus, they say. And the gospel goes forward from the mouth of the apostle. And Peter is clear. That Jesus isn't just an option amongst a, a long list of other options. Jesus isn't just one way of salvation. And, and you pick him if you want or, or someone else if you would prefer. There's exclusive claims made here by Peter. And the exclusive claim is this. Verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is the exclusive claim of the gospel that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way and the truth and the life. My friends, if you are watching at home and if you have believe that you will somehow save yourself by your own goodness. Jesus is the only way. 
And if you're sitting at home and if you have believed that perhaps another path will be a path of self-enlightenment and you will climb a mountain and, and sit at the feet of a wise and holy man and learn from his ways and this will see you saved, Jesus is the only way. And for all of those who follow other paths, other religions, who, who put their trust in other systems, other ways of, of feeling your way out towards God, Jesus is the only way. Here in this message, we see why Christianity is the most persecuted religion in all of the world. The reason at the heart of it is because it is true. And the devil is our enemy and he is a roaring lion and he cares not about those well-meaning religious people who are following false religions. But the Christian faith, well, as far as the enemy is concerned, it must be stamped out and the gospel must be silenced. And why? Because Jesus is the only way that we can be saved, that we must be saved. His is the only name given to men under heaven by which we must be saved. There is no salvation in anyone else. Jesus is the way. And so friends, if you're watching this and you're listening to this sermon, I thank God for that. I have no idea who listens to this on a weekly basis, who, who checks in for just five or ten minutes or who sits to the very end. I don't know if you are a Christian or you're not, but today if somehow you've come across my bearded face on Facebook or Vimeo or wherever, or you're listening to this in the car or whatever it might be, but today if this has reached your ears, then thanks be to God because today you hear the gospel. That Jesus Christ was rejected by the builders, but he has become the cornerstone. That Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins, but he stood again on this earth. Today we proclaim the resurrection from the dead, and it is in Jesus. And today if our sins would be forgiven, today if we would be saved, today if we would be made right with God, then Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way. My friends, I urge you today to believe in Jesus as he is offered in the gospel, to repent of your sins and trust in the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in no one else. Peter preaches with great boldness this message. He preaches the gospel. And brothers and sisters, be clear what the gospel is. I know we talk about hell and warn people about a lost eternity and we do that rightly. We warn people about sin and about how the wages of sin is death and we do that rightly. We explain that our God is a holy God and that sinful men and women like us cannot stand before him. We do that rightly, but all of that is the bad news. That's not the gospel. And then later when we call upon people to believe it and we say, repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the response to the gospel. But brothers and sisters, what is the gospel? The gospel is a declaration of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is when we proclaim into this dark and sinful world that Christ Jesus died for sinners and was raised for our justification. 
that Christ died for the ungodly, that Christ took his sin that was not his own upon his own shoulders and, and made an end to it at the cross, was placed in a tomb but stood again on this earth. It is incredibly good news. And so brothers and sisters, tell people of the bad news. Urge them to believe the good news and be clear in your articulate verbalization of the gospel. What am I talking about? Preach the gospel is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter does. And he does it boldly. And, and they see that in verse 13. They see the boldness of Peter and John. And yet they perceive that Peter and John were uneducated common men and they were astonished. Can you imagine that? Here is this gathering of the great and the good, knowledgeable men who have studied and, and know the word. And, and here are these two commoners coming in and boldly saying, you rejected Jesus. And now that same Jesus is the cornerstone. And they are amazed at the preaching that they hear. And so you would imagine that after such a bold proclamation of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, then all of these men would come to realize their need of Jesus and they would receive him by faith. That, you would imagine, is what happens. But unfortunately, it's the complete opposite. You see, they want to stop this so-called good news. They want no more talk of the resurrection. They don't want to hear about this Jesus whom they were instrumental in having crucified. They, they don't want any of that, but they understand we're struggling to punish these guys. They see that the man who was healed, verse 14, is standing beside Peter and John. And so they have nothing to say in opposition. They're struggling. They want to oppose the gospel. They want to stop the gospel, but... What do we do? What do we say? How can we when, when this guy over 40 years old, lame from birth, he's right there. How can we deny such a miraculous thing? So they command Peter and John to leave the council and they confer with one another. And they say in verse 16, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Verse 17. You see, the enemy doesn't change. His ways remain the same. He doesn't want anyone to be saved. He doesn't want anyone to come onto the, the gospel sign. He doesn't want anyone to receive Christ as their saviour. And so what does he do? What he has always tried to do. To silence the gospel. To stop it in its tracks. And that opposition may come from religious authorities as we meet in this passage. It may come from governments and government systems as the church would soon discover when the gaze of Rome in later years turns upon the church and seeks to stamp it out. It might come from religious authorities, it might come from civic authorities and it might even come from within the church. You would be amazed by how many times I hear colleagues saying that they face opposition in their fellowships for preaching the gospel. 
They've gone to churches that have enjoyed the status quo for a long time. They don't want any of that gospel stuff, any of that saved stuff. You would be amazed at how often fellowships slowly but surely reach a point where they say, shh, none of that gospel business. The enemy doesn't change his ways. He has always sought to silence the gospel. But brothers and sisters, the gospel cannot, cannot be stopped. If we as a fellowship in Eden Grove would stop proclaiming it, then the Lord would never be left without a witness. If we as a town suddenly had no churches proclaiming the gospel, and thanks be to God for Balnehinch, and the faithful congregations up and down our town who do preach it, but if we were ever in a situation where Balnehinch found itself quiet off the gospel, the Lord would raise up a witness. See, the gospel, no matter what Satan tries, no matter his schemes or his plans, the gospel cannot and will not be stopped. And that is of great encouragement in these days. For in these days, we suspect that we are moving slowly but surely to a place in our land and beyond. In the so-called Christian Western world, we are moving to a place where we will see people losing their right and their ability to speak the gospel. And why? Because the gospel is an offence to those who are perishing. We must realise that the cross, to many, is offensive. You're telling me? That I need to be saved? You're telling me that I'm going to be judged? Surely not. Surely I won't be judged. After all, the tattoo on my arm says, only God will judge me. And you say, well, yeah, you're right. God is going to judge. And they say, no more of this. No more of this. Brothers and sisters, increasingly in the West, the gospel is an embarrassment. It's something that shouldn't be proclaimed publicly. If you want it, then, then share it silently. Share it amongst your, your friends. Don't ever raise your voice too loud. But we're seeing increased opposition. And, and the rest of the Christian world say to us, well, brothers and sisters, welcome to the party. Because the gospel is hated and despised. And in the majority of cases in the Christian church today, it is opposed. It is relatively easy to be a Christian in Northern Ireland. But you go today to Saudi Arabia and you try preaching Christ on the street corner. You today take your Bible to North Korea and you seek to, to have an open air Bible study or a drive-in service. You see how quickly you will get on in such lands as that. I commend to you today the work of Open Doors. Go to their website, read through what they tell us about the state of the world that we are in. Pray for our brothers and sisters across the world. And remember that even though you and I might have it easy, we are not the majority in this world. We are not the majority in the Christian church. The Christian church knows trouble and will continue to do so until the end of the age. For the gospel is hated and despised in this world. Those who had gathered Peter and John before them said, no more gospel. And yet as Peter answers them, 
In verse 19, he says, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Amazing confidence, amazing boldness. Two men who had walked with Jesus and witnessed his trial and crucifixion and who had met the raised, resurrected Christ and who at one point were hiding away with doors locked, filled with fear and suddenly they say, we'll obey God and we must, we, we cannot stop proclaiming what we have seen and what we have heard because it is glorious, it is the gospel. And they're warned, they're threatened in verse 21. And they could find no way to punish them because the people, the people were praising God for all that had happened. And the man who was healed, as we've said, was more than 40 years old. Verse 22. The gospel cannot be stopped. Even though in the confines of the council, amongst the great and the good, the ruling authorities, and they were saying, shh, no more of this. Outside the door, the people were celebrating and praising the Lord for they saw the sign and the wonder had taken place. The sign of healing performed in this man pointed clearly, the sign pointed clearly to Jesus. It said, look to Jesus. He is the one who has done this. Look to him. And the people rejoiced for their eyes had been opened and they had received Christ by faith and they knew that what was going on here could not be stopped. And yet, even with the boldness, Peter and John were no fools. They realised that the work before them, which had already discovered much opposition, would only continue to discover opposition. And so, when they were released, verse 23, they went to the church, they went to their friends, and they reported all that had happened. And so what did they do? They prayed. They prayed. Boldness. Boldness to stand in front of a ruling council. And yet as soon as they get out, they fall on their knees before the King of Kings. Brothers and sisters, we must learn this. We must see the necessity of this. It's, it's one thing having a big mouth down the town and proclaiming the gospel. It's one thing being someone who shares the gospel at every turn with your friends and neighbours. But if you're doing it in your own strength, if you believe that, that it's you and your ability and your confidence and your prestige that's going to see it across the finishing line, if that is what you have come to understand, then you are a fool. Bold proclamation of the gospel must be bathed in zealous and passionate prayer. This group call upon the Lord and they say, Sovereign Lord, verse 24, you're the one who's made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And it was you who through our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and this is Psalm 2 that we read at the start of the service, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain and the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointment? anointed they pray the scriptures they pray psalm 2 and they say lord we're seeing this we're seeing in this very city verse 27 those who gather together against your holy servant 
There was Herod. There was Pontius Pilate. There was the Gentiles and there was the peoples of Israel. They gathered together against Jesus. And yet, they didn't ever take control. Verse 28, these people pray that they gather together to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, there's the, the balance. Whenever we face opposition, it's, it's tempting to believe that the church will be defeated and the gospel will be silenced and, and those who oppose us ultimately are going to be victorious. But we must never, ever forget that our God is sovereign. He is sovereign over the raging nations. He is sovereign over kings and queens and ruling powers and authorities. He is sovereign even over churches who have decided to move on from the gospel. The Lord is sovereign. And he has predestined all of history to map out as it is following. And it was the same in the case of Jesus. There was no mistake here. The Jews did not overreach themselves. Herod did not step beyond his boundaries. Pilate didn't somehow do something he wasn't supposed to do. All of this was predestined to take place as the Lord Jesus Christ was handed over to the plans of wicked men. God is sovereign and man is responsible. And as we understand that, then we draw great confidence. For the people still rage. The world still shakes an angry fist at Jesus. There's still many that plot and scheme against the church and against Christ inside and outside the church. But the Lord is still in the heavens. And the Lord still reigns. And the gospel cannot be stopped. These men and women calling upon the Lord and speaking his word. They say in verse 29, Lord, look upon your th their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And while you do this, you'll stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they were gathered, verse 31, the place that they were were shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Boys and girls, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And the man who had been healed, well, he was over 40 years old. So they couldn't find any reason to punish Peter and John. But Peter and John, hearing their threats, boys and girls, they didn't suddenly shrink away. They didn't suddenly decide, oh, we better be quiet. But they prayed for boldness. They prayed that the Lord would strengthen their hearts. That he would give them courage. That they would be men and women who would look down the barrel of threats and accusations and lies. And they would still preach Christ and him crucified. See my friends, we are not fools. And we know that when opposition comes, it will be difficult. We know that it isn't easy to stand before the authorities. I don't stand today and pretend to be 
bold and brave and afraid of nothing. Every one of us will quake, I suspect. But may we realise today that the gospel cannot be stopped. May we realise the imperative that is in front of us to preach this gospel. It is the gospel of life and death. We believe it or we do not. We go to glory or we go to hell. We are saved or we are enemies of God. The gospel answers it all and must be proclaimed. May the Lord give us boldness to do it. And may we not be afraid. And as I finish today, I also say, may we not be filled in these days full of worry. We cannot meet. The world has been turned upside down and many of us wonder when normality will return. There is much to be frustrated about. Much to be concerned about the, the spiritual health of our churches for one. Men and women, I have no doubt, will drift away and, and never come back to church. Many have already decided that, that Sunday's a different kind of day now for long walks and, and for coffees and, and for buns and, and for sitting on the beach and watching the day go by. No room anymore for the Lord. These are days where we as churches are concerned and nervous and worried. But brothers and sisters, wherever you are and whatever you face, preach Christ and him crucified. For there is nothing more important and nothing more glorious than the gospel. Christ Jesus died for sinners and was raised for their justification. The gospel cannot be stopped.